Well, I want us this evening to look at Romans chapter 6 again. We looked at the last few verses of the chapter this morning. And uh, this evening, perhaps, um, we could focus in on verse 11. Romans chapter 6, verse 11. I'm in danger of confusing myself uh, because we spent quite a few weeks in Hebron going through Romans chapter 6. And uh, I wanted to bring Romans chapter 6 to you, uh, but the danger will be I'll veer off into different verses at different times. But it's an important chapter. If you are not familiar with this chapter in the book of Romans, then become familiar with it. Uh, it's an important chapter, whoever you are. If you're a young Christian, this is important for you uh, because you will find times when things are difficult when you are struggling with particular temptations. Well, this chapter will help you. It will help you understand who you are in Christ. If you are an older Christian, this chapter is as important as ever. Because in this chapter, we're reminded that we face temptations throughout our lives as Christians. Uh, We will face different temptations when we are older than when we were younger. And so this chapter remains important. But maybe verse 11 is a good place to focus in on. Look at verse 11. It says this, Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. At some point in the last year, I read a book about um, a Muslim who became a Christian. He came to faith in Christ. But at some point in the book, he writes about how He attended a meeting with his father and the gospel was explained. What does it mean to be a Christian? Uh, To be a Christian is to be saved by grace alone, by God's grace alone. It's not about what you do. It's not about you proving yourself. It's not about attaining to a standard of morality over a long period of time. It is all about what is given to you freely in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, as he heard the gospel being proclaimed, he was with his father. And they both went home with the same conclusion. This is the explanation for all the immorality we see in the Western world. Uh, There they were living somewhere in North America. And uh, they were were aware of uh, many lifestyles around them, full of sin, full of immorality. Well, it must be this message that gives people such a license to sin. Now, of course, they were mistaken in this sense. They were mistaken in equating the Western world with Christianity itself. Uh, But nevertheless, many people will reach this conclusion. If we are saved by grace, by grace alone, does that give the Christian a license to sin? Can I do whatever I want? Because after all, it's not what I do that puts me right with God. And uh, Paul deals with this issue here. Look at verse 1 of uh, Romans chapter 6. He writes this, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God loves giving grace. So shall we oblige him and allow him to give more grace by sinning more and more? If we sin more and more, it allows God to give more and more grace. Uh, the poet W.H. Auden once said this. He was really mocking Christianity and mocking the gospel, but he said this I like committing crimes. 
God likes forgiving them. Really, the world is most admirably arranged. Isn't this wonderful? I like sin. God loves forgiving. Isn't the world a wonderful place? Uh, The French philosopher Voltaire once wrote this, God will forgive. That is his business. Uh, You read this book, you read the Bible, it's all about grace. It's about forgiveness. It's the business of God. It's what he loves to do. And uh, we see the same idea in, in verse 15. Paul puts it slightly differently. He says this, verse 15, what then shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? So Paul has been saying throughout this epistle, we are not saved by the law. It's there in chapter 3. If you go back to chapter 3 and verse 20, Paul says this, therefore by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. The law is not there to save you. The law is there to show you your sin. He also puts it like this in chapter 5 and verse 20. Chapter 5, verse 20. Moreover, the law entered that the offence might abound. What does the law do? It, It clarifies sin. If you like, it makes it bigger. It makes it obvious. It pinpoints exactly what sin is. And so Paul considers Someone coming along and saying, as he puts it in verse 15, shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? If you have just explained this in great clarity and in great detail, then isn't it okay if I continue in my sin? I'm saved entirely by grace and not by the law. Well, at the beginning of this chapter, and again halfway through, Paul deals with the problem in the same way. Look at verse 2. He says this, certainly not. If you've got the authorised version, it says, God forbid. The word God isn't there in the Greek, but the the translators are getting across how ludicrous such an idea is, how unthinkable it is. That's what Paul is saying. And uh, again, he puts it in the same way in, in, uh, in verse 15. There it is, certainly not. It's unthinkable. The way in which Paul writes there in verse 2 and verse 15 makes me think that uh, if this had been a discussion over dinner or in a cafe, um, that's the point at which he would have spluttered out his tea as he was talking. It's unthinkable. You've got the wrong idea. Uh, The gospel is, is, is not a license to sin. That could not be further from the truth. Why could it not be further than from the truth? Well, look at verse 2. He says this, Certainly not... How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? The reason it is so unthinkable, Paul says, is because the Christian is someone who has died to sin. If you are a Christian tonight, realize this, you are dead to sin. That's what Paul is saying. You are dead to sin. You might grasp this evening the doctrine of justification by faith. I'm saved through Christ alone, through trusting in him. And that means I'm saved from the guilt of sin. I'm saved from the penalty of sin. And some people say that's what this chapter is about. In what sense are you dead to sin? Well, some people say what Paul means here is that you are dead to the penalty to sin. 
there is no longer any penalty to be paid because Christ has paid the penalty for you. But if you read on in the chapter, isn't it clear that Paul is saying much more than that? He's not merely talking about the penalty for sin. He is talking about the power of sin. So look, look at the second half of verse 6. Uh, Paul says, what's happened to the Christian was so that we should no longer be slaves to sin. So we considered that picture this morning, the picture of slavery. The Christian is no longer a slave to sin. That's the sense in which he is dead to sin. And also look at the first part of verse 14. What's happened to you as a Christian was so that sin would have no dominion over you. This chapter is all about the power of sin. Yes, we are saved from the guilt of sin. Yes, we are saved from the penalty of sin. There is no more penalty for the person who is in Christ Jesus. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. But this chapter is about more than that. You are dead to the power of sin. So what does it mean to be dead to sin's power? Now, if you like animals, you might not like this illustration, but it's not mine, okay? So that's my excuse. Um, imagine an animal, a cat or a dog. Imagine a hot day like today, and there is an animal lying in the gutter, and you don't know if it's dead or alive. What do you do? Well, you can go over and you can give it a gentle prod with your foot, if it's dead, what will happen? Nothing. There will be no response. If it jumps up and runs away, it means the animal is still alive. Now, is Paul saying we are dead in a way that we are unresponsive to sin? So if you like, just like my foot would come along and, and prod that animal, when sin comes at us, do we simply not respond anymore? We don't respond to it because we are dead to sin. Well, I don't think that can be what Paul means. If you are a Christian, I would be surprised if you said that is your experience. That when sin comes, you're unresponsive. You're not bothered by sin. You're not troubled by it. You're never tempted to say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing or engage in the wrong thing. Temptations never bother you anymore. Well, I don't think that's the case with anyone this evening. If you said that to me this evening, I would say I don't believe you. And I think from reading Romans chapter 7, it is clear um, that that cannot be what Paul means. We struggle with sin. We say we hate sin. There is that very real sense in which if we're believers, we hate sin and we want to be done with sin. But we still struggle with sin. The presence of sin remains with us. The liability to sin continues in us. And also, if Paul means that we're simply not troubled by sin anymore, then chapter 6 doesn't make sense. Because in chapter 6, we have these commands. Look at verse 12. Paul tells us to do something. He says, Do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lusts. And also verse 13, do not present your members as instruments 
of unrighteousness to sin. What does that mean? Your members. It means the parts of who I am, the parts of my body, my members. Do not present your eyes, your ears, your mouth, your hands, your legs, your feet. Don't present them to sin, to serve sin, but also everything that makes you a human being. Do not present your mind, your intellect, your imagination to sin. Now, if Paul means we're no longer troubled by sin anymore, then that command doesn't make sense. Why give a command to people who are dead to sin in that sense? So Paul is not saying that we're no longer troubled by sin. We're no longer tempted by sin. What therefore does he mean here in chapter 6? What does it mean uh, where Paul says in verse 2, How shall we who die to sin live any longer in it? Well, I said this this morning, but I want you to grasp Romans chapter 6, and I want you to be helped by it. What Paul means is this, we are dead to sin's power. You are no longer sin's slave. That's why he gives the analogy of slavery. Look at verse 19 for a moment. In the second half of chapter 6, he says, I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. What does Paul mean by that? Well, maybe he means several things. Maybe one thing he means is this, that sometimes pictures help us get things. When we're given a picture, it helps us understand because we're weak, the weakness of our flesh. We're slow to understand things. And so Paul says, because of your limitations, let me give you a picture. Think of a slave. Well, you are no longer sin slave. No longer present your members to sin as instruments of righteousness. Why? Because you no longer belong to sin. It's not who you are. Sin is no longer the realm in which you live. King Sin is no longer your commander. He is no longer your master. When I was in, in school, when I was a teacher in uh, St. Tylo's, there would be a Friday afternoon detention for the worst offenders. And uh, Friday afternoon detentions were for people who had missed them during the week and so on. And uh, on a Friday, I'd be on a rota, and uh, you'd, be get, you'd, you'd get given a list of names. These are the people who should be in front of you. And uh, sometimes you go through the list of names. Now, you wouldn't be surprised if I said some people were missing. But sometimes, you might not believe me now, but this really did happen, sometimes you would have extra names. And so you would say, well, why are you here? What are you doing here? Ah, sir, I'm, uh, I'm sleeping over his house tonight, and so uh, I've got nowhere else to go. Um, do you mind if I come? Or I always walk home with him. We're always together. Now, it happened. But that meant in front of me there were two kinds of people. There were those who had to be there, if you like. They were my slaves. They were captive. You're here till four o'clock or whatever it was. But there were also those who could get up and walk out. I had no authority over them. They were free to go. Now, if you are a Christian this evening, realize that's who you are. You are free to walk away from the authority of sin. 
sin no longer need command you anymore. Now, this is staggering, isn't it? But this is what Paul says is true of the Christian. The reason why many people struggle with Romans chapter 6, and let me tell you this evening as well that I have often struggled with this chapter. The reason I've struggled with it it is because it doesn't seem to square with my own experience. Paul says we are dead to sin. And you might say this evening, but I don't feel dead to sin. I struggle to sin. That's why I thank God for that hymn. I'll get it wrong now, but it says something like prone to wander, prone to leave the God I love. Well, we're thankful for that hymn because it sums up our experience. So often that's how we feel. I don't want to do this. That which I I don't want to do, I find myself doing. But Paul says, understand who you are. You are no longer a slave to sin. You are no longer under its authority, under its power. You can walk out the door and you can say no. If you've never read anything by Martin Lloyd-Jones, or if you've read a lot by Martin Lloyd-Jones but never read this, then I think I would put this, you might disagree with me, I put this at the top of my list of books to read by Martin Lloyd-Jones. In his series on Romans, read the volume of his sermons on Romans chapter 6, because he deals with this chapter um, in an exceptional way. But let me read you these words of Martin Lloyd-Jones. He said this, But I cannot believe that, says someone. So they're talking about this fact of being dead to sin. But I cannot believe that. It's too staggering, almost incredible. I listen to that voice of Satan and fall into sin. And yet you tell me that I'm dead to it. And then he said this, you are, and I want you to believe it. That's where we begin. If you're seeking to follow Christ, if you're saying, I'm I'm saved by grace, he is my only hope of salvation, and how I love him for dying for me, and how I want to obey him, but I find it so hard. I find it so difficult. It seems like there is a battle raging within. Temptations come from without. It is a struggle. Where do you begin? Romans chapter 6 is your foundation. It's the springboard, if you like, for sanctification. Remember your school days and uh, the horse or the box in the middle of the gym. And you had to run up and jump on top of it or jump over it. Well, there was a springboard and it helped give you that momentum. Well, maybe there's a sense in which Romans chapter 6 is like that. This chapter gives us momentum. It tells us who we are. It tells us what is true of us. It tells us that we are no longer captive and we're no longer bound to sin. But instead, we are free from sin and we are slaves of righteousness. And so I did say we were looking at verse 11. So verse 11, I think, helps us absorb this truth. Look at verse 11 again. It says, Likewise, You also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So perhaps we could start with the end of the verse. This is true for people who are in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
There's a lot in those words, isn't there? To be in Christ Jesus. Uh, This afternoon I went for dinner at my parents' house and there I saw my father's tomatoes growing in the greenhouse. If I snipped off one of the stems coming from the vine, uh, what would happen to the tomato that is growing on that plant? It would die. It's lost contact with the vine. The stem has been snapped. Now, if we are in Christ Jesus, if we are in him, it means we have life in him. Our life comes from being in him. And uh, Jesus gives that picture, doesn't he? John 15, verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. There are other pictures in the New Testament of being in Christ Jesus. He is the head, and his people, the church, are the body. Think of that most awful of methods of execution, um, to be executed, to, to go underneath the guillotine uh, when the head is severed from the body. There is no life. But we are in Christ Jesus. We are the body of which he is the head. And so there is life in him. And so I want us to see this evening that Romans chapter 6 is really a very positive and encouraging chapter. It's a chapter that should make you walk out of this building feeling 10 feet tall this evening. Because it tells you you are in him. Something has happened to you. You struggle with sin. I'm fighting with sin. But you see, you're in Christ Jesus. It means you have life in Christ Jesus. And so, notice in verse 11, verse 11 is telling us we're to do something. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves, or some translations say, consider yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Consider yourselves. This is what Paul is saying. Remind yourself. It's in the present tense here. What's the significance of that? The significance is, keep reminding yourselves. Every day, remind yourself of who you are in Christ Jesus. Consider yourselves. Consider yourselves. Consider yourselves dead to sin. Now, don't misunderstand that. Paul is not encouraging us towards make-believe. The week before last, I went to boys' camp, and uh, they have a race three times around the football pitch, the run. Now imagine I had a very inspirational coach who at the start of that race told me, James, you are better than everyone else in this race. Well, it would be make-believe. He might be very skilled at being my coach. He might convince me of the truth. But it wouldn't be a truth. It would be a lie. It wouldn't make me win. Because quite simply, I'm out of shape and I lost to a boy who was 11. Well, uh, it's a disaster. This is not make-believe. Paul is telling us something that is true. Consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. You need to realize it. You need to remember it. You need to know it. You need to consider it and and keep considering it again and again. Day after day, I am dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Maybe this evening you are struggling with a particular sin. 
And maybe you might even despair. You might think, could I be a Christian at all? I'm struggling with this. This is difficult. And uh, this is where we begin. Dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. If you've read those sermons of Martin Lloyd-Jones, you'll know that he talks about our need of a sergeant major. Uh, The point he's making is this, uh, that we need somebody to shout this at us every day. Rather than a nurse to soothe us and to mop our brows and to say, yes, it is hard. No, we need someone to remind us of this and to shout it to us every day. I am dead to sin and alive to God. Uh, This is my status. This is who I am as a Christian. Now, the point is, we can live in a way that is contrary to our status. Uh, What do I mean by that? Well, consider consider a married man. I remember when I started teaching, there was an older man. I was in my first year of teaching, and he was in his last year. He was coming up to retirement. And I was a newly married man. He wasn't a Christian, but he gave me some advice. He's died now, in fact. But he gave me some advice. His advice was this. He said, when I was your age, I was married young too. And he said, but I carried on as if I wasn't. In other words, every night of the week, I was out with my pals. I was playing football. I was at the pub. I was doing all of these things. In other words, he was married, but he didn't live according to his status. And this was his advice to me as a young man. Remember now you're married. Remember your responsibilities. Remember your duties. You need to be there and not out all of the time and so on. The point is you can live in a way that doesn't seem to accord with your status. And as Christians, we can do that. The truth is you are dead to sin. The truth is sin does not have authority over you. And yet the reality is... Sin calls and you obey. You obey the call of sin. You obey its command. Maybe another way of putting it is like this. You might see a man and uh, you say, grow up or stop behaving like a baby. He's not a baby. He's a grown man. And uh, you, you need to talk to him and you need to be stern with him. Stop being a baby. Remember now, you're a man. Act like a grown up. And uh, Paul is reminding us of our status. Remember who you are. Why are you obeying sin when you do not have to? And isn't that the sober truth of Romans chapter 6? When you sin, you sin as someone who did not have to. Have you grasped that this evening? If you are a Christian, each and every time you sin... You sin as someone who did not have to. Consider your status. Consider who you are in Christ. Now, Paul gives us two things in particular to consider. Firstly, you are dead to sin. So remember, uh, that means you're not completely unresponsive to sin. Uh, You're not someone who is never tempted anymore. The liability and the presence of sin remains. But it does mean sin no longer has authority over us. If you like, the battle has been won. 
As some of you um, who like football will know that at the end of a, a football season, sometimes things are close. It's the end of the Premier League season. I think this year it came down to the last day. Uh, who was going to win the title, Manchester City or Liverpool? Some years, it's not as exciting as that. In some years, a particular team has won, and yet they've got six games left to play. Now, what happens in those games? Well, they go out and they play, and they face a real battle. They still face opposition. But they face opposition in the knowledge that they've won. Now, as Christians... That's the reality for us each and every day. We face opposition, but we face it in the knowledge that our sin has been taken from us. There is no debt left to pay. Uh, we, we know that the wrath of God has been satisfied in the cross of Christ. Uh, but we also know that however fierce the battle may be, we are people who have victory over sin. Sin can't command the Christian. What else does the Christian need to consider? Well, not just that they are dead to sin, but also that they are alive to God. Now, this morning I gave the illustration of a plant being alive, and you can train a plant to go in a particular direction, and so it is in Christ Jesus. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which he has prepared in advance for us to do. Well, again, isn't that an encouragement? To know that God has planned things for you to do, good works for you to accomplish and for you to fulfill. That's who you are. You are God's workmanship. God is doing something in you, just like I might attempt to manage my garden to make it beautiful and attractive. So God is working in you to make you beautiful and attractive. What is his plan for every believer? Ephesians 1 verse 4, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. For what purpose? To be holy and blameless in his sight. That's why he chose you before the world was ever made. To be holy and blameless in his sight. Are you considering that? Are you considering it this evening? Why am I a Christian? Why has God brought me here? Why have I come to an understanding of these things? Why was I ever brought to conviction of sin? Why did I ever go to Christ for relief? Well, so that I might be holy and blameless before him. God will complete the work he begins in his people. Now, that's really the theme of these chapters. Uh, Romans 5, 6, 7, and 8, they belong together. Chapters 6 and 7, uh, you could argue, are really um, things he's dealing with on the side. And if you like, when you come to chapter 8, he picks up from where he left off in, in chapter 5. Uh, but the, the outcome at the end of chapter 8 is a wonderful outcome. Uh, the great conclusion of it all. Uh, turn over to chapter 8 and look at verse 35. This is God's promise. This is his purpose for his people. Uh, verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Look at that list. 
Maybe this evening you might feel you're going through particular trials. Things are tough. Things are difficult. Well, nothing's going to separate you from the love of Christ. Um, Look how it picks up in verse 37. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's the summer. I have an annual job in the summer. I tidy up the garage. And uh, it always amazes me every year. I think, how did it get like this? Uh, But it's a mess, and uh, every year I tidy it up again. And this year I finished off a job. Um, I put some shelves up, and there was one shelf that needed to be attached to the wall. The brackets were there, the screws were there. It was a job I started and never finished. And I calculated when it was I started the job. Well, this is shameful. Uh, My son Joseph is 11. He's away at camp, and uh, I began it when I was on paternity leave for Joseph. So there we are, 11 years before. I had begun the job, and uh, I got it finished. I don't want to trivialize this, but my point is God will always bring to completion what he has started. And what a great encouragement. When you are facing difficult times, if you are a Christian, you have this hope. These things a part of his great purpose and plan to keep me. And not just to keep me, but to make me holy and blameless in his sight. When things happen to people who are not believers, well, they don't have the same confidence that you do. I am his child. I am his son or his daughter. And he cares for me. And he is fulfilling his purpose in me. Verse 11, this verse should be exhilarating for us this evening. It makes us feel 10 feet tall because however far we still feel that we've got to go, it tells us that God is working in us to accomplish his purpose, that we should be holy and blameless before him. This evening we're only really skimming the surface. And I suppose all I want to do this evening is whet your appetite for Romans chapter 6. But these are are wonderful truths. Uh, Our text this evening says, reckon or consider, realize, keep realizing every day what you have in Christ and who you are in Christ. And consider that there is the world of difference between the believer and the unbeliever. Someone in our house, uh, they have an unusual taste in television programs. Uh, But there's a a television program called uh, Can't Pay, We'll Take It Away, or something like that. It's not the nicest or happiest of programs. Uh, People who experience uh, the bailiffs, uh, so they've fallen into debt and uh, a court order has been given uh, that payment must be made. And if they haven't got the means to pay, if they can't pay in cash or by their card or whatever, then the bailiffs can come and take away whatever they find in your possession to meet the value 
of the debt that you owe. And so on the program, you see these big bulky men, 10 feet wide, and uh, there they are, broad-shouldered. They knock on your door. You must pay the debt. Now, the, the good news of the gospel is this. For the Christian, the debt has been paid. And so you can say, well, my debt has been paid. There is nothing left to pay. If you're not a Christian this evening, realize that. That's the core of the gospel. That I have sinned. And a price must be paid for my sin, for what I have done. But the Lord Jesus Christ has come and he's paid the price. There is no more penalty. There is no more punishment because he has taken it from me. But realize too what I said this morning. The gospel is more than that. Think of the bulky bailiffs as they knock on the door. When the debt has been paid, you are no longer under their authority. They no longer have the right to order you around. You can say, leave my house. Leave me alone. The debt has been paid. And so it is for the Christian. The debt is paid. Our guilt is taken. Our sin is taken from us. But the glory and the wonder of the gospel is this. Sin can now be told, go away. Leave me alone. You no longer have any right to order me around. Now, have you realized this aspect of the gospel? Great is the gospel of our glorious God. Not only has the debt been paid, but sin is no longer my master. Sin no longer has authority over me. And in each and every circumstance of life, I can be certain that God is doing something in me to make me beautiful. And therefore, these commands that we read, look at the commands again. Verse 12, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts, and do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness. Those are commands for the Christian, and they're commands given in the light of this truth. In the light of the truth that I am dead to sin. Because I am dead to sin. Because sin no longer has power over me. Therefore, I'm not going to let sin reign in my mortal body. I have these members, the parts of my body, everything that makes me me. Uh, my body, my physical body, but my mind, my imagination, my intellect, all of it. I am no longer going to present to sin because I have a new master and I say no to sin. And uh, my new master, well, instead, I present these members as instruments of righteousness to God. And I present them to him. Uh, let me close with a hymn. It's uh, 599. And... Uh, It reminds us that all that we have now belongs to him. So uh, the hymn, I lift my heart to thee, but verse 3 of 599, to thee, thou dying lamb, I all things owe. All that I have and am and all I know, all that I have is now no longer mine, and I am not my own, Lord, I am thine. Verse 4, how can I, Lord, 
withhold life's brightest hour from thee. Maybe this evening you, you are in life's brightest hour. Maybe your legs go faster around that football pitch than mine do. Or maybe life's brightest hour is simply having a body that still functions and a mind that still works. What are you going to do with life's brightest hour? Are you going to present it to sin? Or are you going to present it to righteousness, to God? How can I, Lord, withhold life's brightest hour from thee or gathered gold? God has blessed you. Things aren't too difficult for you. There's enough food on the table. You clothe yourself with ease. You have some nice holidays. Uh, what are you going to do with your gathered gold? Are you going to present it to, to sin? To things that might encourage you and tempt you to sin? Or are you going to, to give what you've been given and put it at his disposal? Or any power? Are you in a position of influence? Are you a teacher at school? Are you a governor? Are you involved in some charitable work and you sit on some committee? What areas of responsibility do you have? Do you serve here in the church, in the Sunday school or in youth meetings? Power, authority, leadership. Am I going to use the skills that God has given me to serve in those ways and present them to sin? Or am I going to present them to God, to him? Why should I keep one precious thing from thee when thou hast given thine own dear self for me? These are the longings of our heart, if we are Christians, that we long to give all that we are to him. But also God enables us to fulfill those longings. We desire him. We desire to please him. We desire to serve him. We desire to be made beautiful in holiness. Well, by his grace, he has given us all that we need for life and godliness. And it's found in Christ Jesus. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I'll pray and then we'll sing a hymn. Father God, we thank you for what it is to be a Christian. We confess our sin this evening. Forgive us for when we are willful in our sin and when we present ourselves to sin. We pray that every day we would remember, we would reckon, we would consider uh, the truth of every believer that we are dead to sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. We pray that you would enable us in the week ahead uh, to be people who present ourselves to you and uh, people who flee from sin and uh, enable us, we pray, uh, to please you in our lives. We ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.